When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. It's Michael Nesmith on the Pantheon Podcast. History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Well, hello once again. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Um, Glad, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, so this episode we are going to be calling Access Denied, Canucks in the 80s. it's funny, we, we had an episode earlier called uh, Twice Bad Timing, and I know in that, I'm, I'm pretty sure I included Moxie and Tease in that, because we were kind of building the case that there are these bands that had bad timing a couple of times. Now, this can be somewhat mixed into this Canadian thing, um, but this episode, we're really going to be talking about this Canadian thing, um, because essentially what we have here are um, a bunch of cases now all these cases are a little different the last band is is the most different case you'll hear when we get to that um, but all of these bands have a little bit of a different case uh, uh, and I wouldn't call it bad timing particularly there's there is some bad timing that we will talk about here but this is more about uh, as the episode uh, title says access denied and the access denied is partially because these bands are from Canada now, you know, it's not exactly that they're they're from Canada, but it's definitely an impediment. I remember all the time when we um, were doing the uh, the magazine Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles, we were in print from 94 to 08. Uh, the boss, Tim Henderson, good buddy of mine, um, you know, he was always constantly sort of threatening to move to either Florida or L.A. because... Basically, it was it was hard to run a business when all of your customers are uh, are in L.A., all your metal labels or whatever are, are in the States somewhere, and you're dealing with Canadian funds versus uh, American funds, blah, blah, blah. So there are these impediments to being from Canada. Um, you know, this happened with the new wave of British heavy metal bands as we transitioned into hair metal. Basically, none of them got out of that alive, save for special case Def Leppard. Um, but essentially, you know, these bands, uh, as as good as they are uh, or as ambitious as they are, in a lot of cases can't just, you know... Um, pull up sticks and everybody moves to Los Angeles, uh, for example, especially if you're from from the UK, you know, people have jobs and stuff, right? I mean, obviously, if you're a serious band, you, you, you know, you want to do all you can do. But that's a big thing to ask of a band. Australian bands had the same thing happen. And right in the hair metal situation, I remember interviewing lots and lots of bands, you know, uh, bands even from elsewhere in the States, uh, were always having that problem. Do we move to LA? How can we make it if we're not in LA? If we're not in these people's faces all the time. So that's going to be a, a big theme of this episode. Um, 
But yes, so bear in mind, Access denied Canucks in the 80s. Now, what I'm going to talk about here uh, are bands that, uh, that uh, in, well, most cases, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go a little uh, case by case, but um, that I really, really do feel should have been massive. Um, there are just, just beautiful, beautiful things about all these bands, and yet they did not become massive. So part of the joy of doing this podcast is is like any DJ or even me when I'm writing books, is turning people onto good music. So I, I hope you check out these bands and uh, and find some really, really cool stuff. And uh, and you'll, you'll be thinking probably along the same lines as me. It's like, why weren't these guys bigger? So that's kind of the idea uh, with this episode. Um, okay, so let's move into our first one and we shall discuss further. Uh, this is Santers with Winter Freeze. Take a listen. All right, so Santers are um, an interesting case. So this is a Toronto band. Rick Santer, Rick Santers, guitar and vocals. Mark Santers, drums, uh, excellent drummer, and then Rick Lazaroff on bass. So they were a trio. Um, you know, they're coming at this time. A, a big theme with this episode is going to be the the confluence of these bands. Uh, you know, running headlong into heavy metal's kind of golden age with the new wave British heavy metal, but then uh, and but then hair metal and even thrash. You know, metal's a pretty big thing. It's a thriving thing all through the '80s. So. They arrive at a weird time uh, when there isn't much, you know, hard rock or heavy metal coming out of North America with Shot Down in Flames, 1981, their debut album. They're on Ready Records. Uh, Check this album out. You know, the album is not great. It's got a little bit of... um, it's got a little bit of amateurness or stiffness to it, not particularly amateurness in the um, in the recording or the playing, but maybe a little in the songwriting. But the title track on this, Shot Down in Flames, is just this crushing, killer, excellent, really, really passionate and somber, um, good heavy metal song that's a tribute to the death of Bon Scott or a tribute to Bon Scott. Check out that song. Uh, it, it might be the greatest thing Santers ever did. Killer, killer song called Shot Down in Flames. Then they put out the May Day EP in 82. Then the record that this is uh, this song you just heard is from, this is uh, Racing Time, December 82. So again, hair metal has not started yet, but this band is so poised and so primed to be amazing, amazing, and do great in that field because, you know, they're good-looking guys. You know, Rick's got this great, you know, high voice. They're, they're just locked down playing, like as you can hear from this song, just, just perfect, perfect tightness, a lot of melody to them heaviness good bottom end good rhythm section um this had a hit off of it uh you know another original that they wrote called a mistreating heart um and it is a very um it's a little poppier than the song you just heard um although the song you just heard is a little poppy but you know 
perhaps it's the tidal winter freeze, but I get a real kind of a little bit of a Euro metal uh, feel out of it as well. Um, but then they put out an album called Guitar Alley, which I didn't like quite so much. It was produced by Rick Emmett from Triumph. Uh, it had a hit single on it, a novelty single, basically a cover of Freeze All Right Now. It did okay, but I didn't think it was a very good cover. It's just too cloistered. It just feels very polite and behaved. You know, this is something... I'm Canadian. I, I mean, I get a lot of stick for this as well. Um, but sometimes, um, sometimes I, I, you know, I had a tendency to put down these Canadian bands. You know, we have this thing called CanCon here, which, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a rule that, that uh, Canadian content had to be really, really pushed at radio. Um, so we always felt there was this inferiority complex that this stuff was only being on the radio because it, it you know, by law it had to be. But we did feel there was kind of this uh, politeness and not really going for it that you felt out of Canadian bands. I, I've, I've always felt this way kind of about Triumph, for example. Um, but um, but no, uh, this is a case where where that Canadianness and that politeness and that and that soberness, uh, sobriety of their of their playing and their writing just stood them in such good stead. I mean, it, they literally seemed poised. They could have been a massive, massive hair metal band. But did they move to L.A.? No, they did not move to L.A. Had they moved to L.A., possibly something would have happened because like all the uh, all the ducks were in a row for them doing great by the time uh or, sorry by the uh by the way yeah that's the word by the way um i wanted to uh mention i uh, apologize in advance somebody kind of has suggested well probably a couple people along the way that i should do an episode on canadian bands in some way and i can't i can't find the latest email it was either in messenger or it was directly to the facebook page for history and five songs or it was a direct email to me and um you know once once you have a few ways that you're getting messages it's it's hard Hard to find where these messages are coming from, of course. Um, but it brings up a point. I mean, I'm asked all the time to do a book on Canadian bands, and I've I've always resisted because of that inferiority complex. Number one, number two, um, you know, the logistics of the fact that uh, you know by October 2021, I'll have I'll have six Rush books that I'll, I'll have written. I've written a Max Webster book, uh, possibly another Canadian one in there. I'm not sure. I've definitely written about these Canadian albums in my Yield Metal series, so I've I've written about the stuff that was most fun to write about. Um, here and there, April Wine. I've written April Wine, Triumph, Tease, Moxie. Um, so uh, boy, even War Pig, even BTO. Actually, come to think of it, um, but. You know, so so it's like, do I write a book about Canadian bands but leave out Max Webster and Rush because I already have other books on them, blah, blah, blah. And also, the other thing that happens that I'm finding more and more is I got to write, I got to try to write books on one band because every time I write a book that's not on one band, that's a general concept, um, it doesn't sell very well. So there you go. Um, but the last point is I, I also feel that... Um, uh, that uh, there's no real Canadian sound particularly, so it, so it's like you're just writing about these bands because they all come from the same country. So I I've never liked that idea, anyways. You know, French bands, Spanish bands, Jap Japanese bands, Australian bands, same thing. There's no there's no one sound particularly. Um, okay, so just to finish up on Santers, uh, so so yeah, um, basically what happened is um, so they went 82 for this classic classic awesome album start to finish that this song is from Racing Time check it out it's my favorite of course by Santers Guitar Alley I didn't think was a great album but we're already up into June 84 so they're spreading out a little 
then that's it. They're gone. Um, they they actually have a shelved album called Top Secrecy that showed up on a box set that they did years and years and years later. Um, and I think you can get that as a separate CD as well. But basically, um, this is an example of bad timing. The bad timing is that they broke up before they could have been massive. I think they could have really cashed in on the whole hair metal thing and been one of the one of the big bands because they had loads and loads of personality. All right. Moving on, um, speaking of bands that had loads of personality and sound very much like Santa's, uh, you probably can guess this one, some of you who know your Canadian rock. Uh, take a listen to this. This is uh, Coney Hatch with Don't Say Make Me. All right, so Coney Hatch um, are almost like Santers on steroids in terms of the potential that they could have made, you know, the, the personality in the band. This is a song from their second album. Now, their first album comes out in uh, 1982. I love it. I've been playing it a lot lately while zooming up the Don Valley Parkway to mail books. Um, it's a self-titled album. It's produced by Kim Mitchell. They had a really, really cool sound that was like a cross between... Um, melodic rock and ACDC, if you could believe it. Like big, huge, heavy guitars, simple riffs, uh, repetition, but then they throw in kind of cool parts. And they, they had two singers, uh, you know, with loads of personality. Andy Curran is kind of your ace freely in the band, uh, your bedheaded Dennis the Menace, as it were. Um, but looking more like Dennis the Menace is, uh, is the other singer, Carl Dixon. Um, and he has the high voice. He sounds exactly like Rick Sanders, come to think of it, you know, playing these songs back to back. Um, but, um, but yeah, just just an incredible band. Steve Shelsky on guitar, like he uh, he does does one of my favorite guitar solos of all time on uh, on Monkey Bars off the off the debut, where he sounds a lot like Kim Mitchell. And in the past, I've been guilty of thinking a long time ago that it actually was Kim Mitchell guesting on that guitar solo. But no, it's Steve Shelsky. Um, so they did this album uh, that this song is off of called Out of Hand. Great title, great cover. Uh, everything about it looked like uh, looks like a big major league release, including the fact that it's produced by Max Norman. Uh, great, great production on it, but just there's just really tasteful melodic rock playing with a big beat and a big bottom end. They've got this guitar dialogue going on between Steve and Carl, um, and then they also do a third album, which also great album cover. You know, like simple, great, right? Uh, great title, Friction, produced by Max Norman again. Sounds basically like the last one. They both sound like big, plush, expensive, we-are-going-to-make-it albums. But then that's it. They uh, they break up. That's it. They're over with. Um, both of those records, including the debut, loads of personality, should have been huge, could have been a massive hair metal band, good-looking guys, and, uh, you know, four guys. Uh, and just just this really cool, interesting sound that is a um, it's a little bit of that twisted sister thing going on here as well. You know how D. Snyder is famous for saying we we were a cross between ACDC and Judas Priest. So a little complication, a little bit of simplicity mixed together, 
big twin guitars in unison. Coney Hatch kind of had that thing going as well. The songs just just bulldozed forward like tanks, um, but often they were very, very melodic, um, you know, uh, with a lot of that melody coming from uh, Carl Dixon's, you know, super sweet, super high, super pinup star voice. And looks, you know, good looking guys, right? Um, so, yeah, this is a band that could have been massive. Like I say, probably some of Max Norman's best work production-wise. Um, and uh, so, is it bad timing again? Yes, it is bad timing again, because this is a band that should have stuck around and should have kept going. But, again, you're from Canada. Granted, both of these bands, Santos and Coney Hatch, were from Toronto, so you're from a pretty big place with a pretty big record industry. But still, that isn't good enough for you to make it, make it, make it in the States. I actually saw Coney Hatch... Um, so, so this, this reminds me, yeah. So Coney Hatch was trying to do the right thing. Um, I saw them on tour backing up Judas Priest on the Screaming for Vengeance tour in 1982 in Spokane, Washington, uh, on that debut album. And they were awesome. They killed it because their songs were so made for the stage because they had just the, you know, this, this slightly elevated level of, uh, simplicity, uh, to what was going on there. Um, so yeah, they were they were trying to make their inroads, but but what often happens with these Canadian bands is those early promising inroads uh, slowly evaporate. You know, a few management decisions go wrong. You get a good job at home. Uh, you can't tour the states enough, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, a great thing fizzles. All right, so. Next case, uh, quite a similar situation, but some differences here. Um, let's take a short break, um, and then we'll be right back. All right, so back again, History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. We're up to number three in our five songs. Uh, take a listen to this, and we shall discuss. This is Kick Axe with Cause for Alarm. All right, so this is a really, really cool band and a really cool story, but obviously a sad story because a lot of you haven't heard of Kick Axe. Um, so they put out this debut album called Vices. What a cool title. It's not self-titled, but it's a, just a cool word, Vices. Um, and... Um, Kind of a silly album cover with a with a vice, uh, you know. Speaking of vices, Anvil and all that, we're gonna hear from Anvil later. Um, but no, um, so this is a great, great record. It's got tons and tons of personality, and most of that personality is coming from uh, their their you know really cool lead singer with loads of personality in his voice. You know, big guy, you know, good looking guy, George Kristen, long blonde hair. Um, but he's got this really thespian style to his voice. Um, he, he keeps the songs really entertaining, but so do the other guys. I mean, essentially this is a band that has a song where, um, there's a little bit of this simplicity thing, but it's more of like kind of uh what, what would you call it? Holding back, holding back on the rhythms, uh, keeping the arrangements spare, those sorts of things. A lot of variety in the songs on this. Um, one of the cool things about this record is it uh, came out on Pasha Records, um, which was Spencer Proffer's label, um, and it was recorded at Pasha Studios, Spencer Proffer's studio, and Spencer Proffer is famous for having produced Quiet Riot's Metal Health and the Spencer Proffer slash Pasha sound, which is this sort of... Um, 
I was going to do a whole episode on this, and it even might someday, but it's it's this whole coagulated, noisy, thumpy, weird rhythm section, kind of a hollowed-out drum and bass uh, confluence. Um, and it and it's a really cool, unique sound. You hear it a little bit in Wasp, and you hear it in, uh, there's this band called Icon. You hear it in Icon. Um Oh, when I research the episode, I'll find out the other one or two. I, actually, you hear it in Motley Crue. That's right. You hear it in uh, in uh, the likes of certainly um, uh, Theater of Pain, right? That's what it's called. Theater of Pain and Girls, Girls, Girls. Uh, you hear a little bit of that sound in there. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting sound and, and Kickaxe uh, Vices is one of the great albums that that has this. I mean, I've interviewed all the Kickaxe guys or a few of them anyways. For um, I, uh, you know, one day I'm going to write up the story of at least this album. But this band goes way way back. And one of the cool stories about Kickaxe uh, I've always uh, found is um, I believe they claimed that the song on this album, Heavy Metal Shuffle, they had all the way back to something like 1975. Um, so there's an early instance of the word heavy metal getting used, uh, if if in fact that's exactly true how this story works. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what they told me. Uh, anyways, so this is a band from Saskatchewan. So this is a band from really, uh, you know, far away from any urban centers, um, you know, way far away from... Toronto, uh, Toronto certainly, and Vancouver. Vancouver isn't even much of a music center. Calgary, certainly not. Toronto is, but still far, far away. Um, but at least they did the right thing, and uh, and they actually went to L.A., and they spent some time there, and crazy stories about, you know, getting paid, and, um, you know, they, they saw they saw basically uh, uh, cocaine used as um, as uh, currency <laughs> stuff like that um so yeah i can't remember all the stories but basically it was it was a eye-opening experience for these uh, prairie boys um and um but here's here's what happened to them um i i honestly i uh, you know i sadly say this um but i don't feel that um you know unlike coney hatch who i think all three albums are drop dead classics and all should have been huge. Kick Axe kind of got a little worse and then a little worse again over the course of their three albums before fizzling. So the second album was called Welcome to the Club. And okay, it's two, it's, uh, well, okay, May 14th, 84 is when Vices comes out. Welcome to the Club comes out in 85. Um, they've kind of changed their sound. They've softened it. It's a little more morose. Um, it, it's the, the production is kind of noisier and scrappier, but it's not as heavy. Kind of hard to explain. They, they get, they get a little eccentric and obscure, uh, which is, uh, you know, underscored by the uh, by the sort of, uh, you know, artsy album cover to this record. So all of a sudden, all this potential that they had has kind of been wasted on Welcome to the Club. Um, it's just not as good an album. Uh, and then they put out a, a third and last album. You know, most of these bands have albums that came out later, but we're not going to get into that. Um, yeah, like kind of reunion-y things. Um, but their third and last album was called Rock the World. And on this one, they tried to be a little heavier. I believe this is the one, yeah, it's got the cover of Fleetwood Max The Chain, I think. Uh, anyways, it's a little heavier than Rock the uh, than Welcome to the Club. It's got a lousy album cover it's got a stupid title rock the world um but it's lacking all the personality of uh, of vices which is just blinding with personality every song on that they, they all have a purpose it's sequenced beautifully they're all different you know some of them when you play it, you might find them a little sloggy um 
uh, but the, but the personality it, it will it will worm its way into your heart. It will charm you. Every single song on that will charm you if you play the whole album a bunch of times. I'm I'm not kidding. That album is a ten out of ten. Go listen to it. But you know, I remember. I believe <laughs> you know. I always remember these ratings that I give these albums. But I believe I I struggled to give Welcome to the Club a seven, and Rock the World felt like a six kind of thing. So unfortunately, this is a band. Who's uh, the the quality went down every time, and they they blew it for that reason, and then they were gone. That was it. They they had their chance, uh, and it didn't happen for them. All right. So moving on, number four uh, in our history and five songs with Martin Popoff. Take a listen to this. This is Helix with When the Hammer Falls. All right, so different story once again, completely different from these other stories. Helix is a band that actually started in the late 70s and had a couple of independent albums out. You gotta listen to this song called Billy Oxygen. It's this crazy, crazy epic that they have. I think it's on their second album. Uh, But anyways, after that... Uh, They get signed to Capitol. The album covers are suddenly in color. The first two are black and white. And they're they're kind of Johnny on the spot with a really cool but simple and a little bit kind of like a goofy 70s um, party rock sound. Um, But... They move on, so that is the No Rest for the Wicked album, and it it, it makes a few waves. Um, they're they're doing pretty good. Um, this song you just heard is from July seventh, nineteen eighty four. It's off the second of these uh, new era Helix albums called Walk in the Razor's Edge, and again, here's another band, amazing live. Brian Vollmer, what a voice on the guy trained singer can can sing anything so technically he's amazing but he's also got a really powerful rough voice as well so and you know i've seen these guys live a couple times uh two three times maybe and, and actually once very early i i think i saw them at my university that's right uh back in 1981 in uh, ubc vancouver uh they played the university campus um but yeah, just really kind of acrobatic and synchronized stuff going on and headbanging. And they had the, had the red and black leather sort of motif going. Just a great look. Good looking guys. You know, they had, they had, they were kind of hair metally with their hair, but it wasn't too extreme. They were a little bit Judas Priest. But the reason they were like this is because they're almost too early for hair metal, right? So, so they're coming in right at that, you know, early no-nonsense hair metal era of Rat and Dawkin and Motley Crue and Quiet Riot, right? Uh, and Twisted Sister coming up and Judas Priest and Scorpions and Ozzy. Um, so that's really where, they, where their ilk is. Um, so this album's amazing, um, but then they have they have a stumble with "Long Way to Heaven," which looks a little bit like a Christian metal album. And it was a little lighter than "Walking the Razor's Edge." That was 1985, but they come back for another amazing, amazing party metal album that should have made the band massive with uh, "Wild in the Streets" 1987. But then it kind of just drops off. Um, it's not till 1990 that they have another album out called Back for Another Taste. Hair metal is kind of ending. They kind of missed their shot at the brass ring. Um, but again, um, proselytizing like a good DJ or a writer who wants to tell people about great music. 
go listen to Helix. They will make you happy like ACDC makes you happy. They're just the they're just the happy making band of Canada. So so good. Um, and and I, I guess I would recommend more so. Uh, like I say, Walk in the Razor's Edge that this uh, this song is off of, start to finish. Remember, uh, Rock You. Um, there's a great Trailer Park uh, Boys uh, Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, episode <laughs> with uh, with that in it. Um, so Walk in the Razor's Edge '84, Wild in the Streets '87. A little bit long way to heaven. You'll you'll quite like No Rest for the Wicked. They came back and they made more albums later on as well. Kind of low budgety things, but sounding pretty good because Brian is really serious. Um, they had some tragedy. Paul Hackman, uh, their guitarist, died in a car accident, I believe. Um, but yeah, just a really really good band. But again, roots back to the. Uh, probably the mid 70s in fact so they're a little bit coming from a different era but they should have been massive in the in the uh, hair metal era so uh so there you go that's uh that's helix for you we're up to number five totally different story and we're not talking a hair metal story at this point really um but we are a little bit talking hair metal story take a listen to this this is anvil with mad dog All right, so the Anvil story. Most of we us know the Anvil story because there's a, there's a movie called uh, what is it called Anvil: The Story of Anvil. Funnily, uh, but uh, <laughs> really cool, really cool movie, and it gave them a little bit of a career boost. But essentially, the Anvil story. I won't go too far into it, but essentially, um, they were one of the great speed metal bands, and and they're kind of missed opportunity uh, in in you know calling this episode access denied uh, you know uh, what it, what did I call it again access denied Canucks in the 80s so here's a here's a Canadian band from the 80s access denied what is their access that was denied is probably entry into the uh, the realm of being a great thrash band really um, because they're one of the bands that really set the template with uh, metal on metal and forged in fire everybody knows this story Metallica loved them everybody loved them because those albums are absolutely peerless classics of heavy metal pioneering brand new heavy metal really uh for 1982 and 1983 they are probably the best speed metal albums of all time bridging that gap from the new wave of british heavy metal to thrash okay but what happened with them i play you this song to show you what happened with them they kind of slowed down they lost direction basically after forged in fire so that's 1983 they went through a lot of kind of uh inner turmoil management problems at one point they almost got david krebs to be their manager uh but it's not until 1987 that they have a new album so they've lost a lot of uh critical mass they're now on metal blades so they've kind of stepped down to a, a smaller medium-sized label and they are kind of flirting a little bit with this hair metal thing or trying to figure out what kind of band they want to be. They definitely did not go the full thrash direction, which probably would have been a career move, a good career move. 
they kind of went to this middle, you know, American meat and potatoes, power metal sound. So they were a little thrash. They had a little foot in there, a, a, a toe in thrash, a toe in trying to be hair metal, still a toe in uh, in Lips's comedic quality. And Strength and Steel was kind of pilloried by the press, although it did it made a few waves in the States. But, you know, like I say, we're up to 1987. Then they did Pound for Pound in 88. And then it was another four years until worth the wait. Um, so essentially they, they took, they took the eighties a little bit off and they, and they had these albums that weren't that well received. They kind of missed the boat on thrash. They missed the boat on hair metal. They did not kind of get, um, you know, move up the ladder in terms of label and production. And they sort of just spun their wheels. And that's kind of the story of Anvil all through. And they've had all these albums out, some really good quality stuff, very prolific in the 2000s. They've just kept going. They got something like 15 albums out now. The last one was called Legal at Last, Pounding the Pavement, 2018, 2016, Anvil is Anvil, 2013, Hope in Hell. So they had a lot of records out uh, later. But yeah, everybody will will unfortunately always know them for Metal on Metal and Forged in Fire. Okay, so let's wrap up there. Boy, another long one. I'm kind of getting longer with these, aren't I? Um, I just wanted to wrap up and mention a few other things. I hope this doesn't go on too long, but um, I almost included Triumph in this, um, but I didn't want to go back to a band who had, you know, most of their, you know, history leading up to this in the 70s. Uh, Kim Mitchell's another odd case. Um, uh, again, it wouldn't quite fit uh, the, the format of what I wanted to say here about Access Denied, um, but we did have some uh, successes out of Canada as well. Loverboy did amazing. Brian Adams. Uh, Rush continued to do well in the 80s. April Wine's story is almost exactly like Triumph's. I could almost see doing an episode uh, that's really all about April Wine and Triumph because they have so many similarities. Uh, later hair metal, I mean, we had bands like uh, Brighton Rock and Sven Galley and Slick Toxic, Honeymoon Suite at the Light End, Harem Scarum, Lee Aaron, Headpins. There's a theme here. They're kind of they're kind of really light. They're not doing that. Uh, they're not kind of doing it. They're doing the light Canadian thing uh, again. Possibly they're coming too late or missing the boat for other reasons. But probably the main reason again uh, that they are missing the boat is they are from Canada, so they're not right. They're not tapped right into plugged in, you know, to the to, to the ACDC sockets of uh, of the LA scene by by literally being in LA. So that's kind of the problem um, again uh, with bands from elsewhere, no matter where that elsewhere happens to be. So hope you enjoyed this episode. And again, uh, what I what I really struggle to say out of this episode is go play yourself some Santers, go play yourself some Coney Hatch, go play yourself that first Kick X album, go play yourself some Happy Making Helix. Uh, that's it for now. Let's sign off. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. You can uh, check me out at martinpopoff.com. Um, there's a new Bluish Occult visual, uh, uh, visual history uh, that's uh, that's doing well. Big, huge, expensive Bluish Occult coffee table book that I just had in last week. The Rush book, uh, Anthem Rush in the 70s. Still got those, selling those. Basically, any of my books that are in print, I'm signing and selling out of the office here. There's PayPal buttons for everything. That's martinpopoff.com. Or you can email me at martinp at inforamp.net with any questions. Um, That's it. Uh, We shall see you again next time. Uh, Go listen to some Canadian music. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 
Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.